Welcome to our new 2024 season of the Cloud Industry Forum presents TWF uh, with the help of uh, our friends here at Disruptive Live. This is our new style video podcast where each week we interview a guest uh, who could be from one of our members or someone from the cloud tech or business ecosystems, something, somebody with something to say about cloud technology transformation and what's coming next. I'm David Terra. I'm the CEO of the Cloud Industry Forum, which is a not-for-profit trade body that champions and helps accelerate the adoption of cloud technology and services. If you want to find out more about us, we're at cloudindustryforum.org. I'm at DT on X, David underscore Terra on threads and Instagram, and I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. Now, today we'll start the new season talking about what's next for 2024. My guest today is a former IBM managing partner, an in-demand keynote speaker, a TEDx presenter, and a technology advisor to major corporations. Andrew Grill, it's great to see you. Great to have you on the show. Please, can you introduce yourself and explain what you describe as being an actionable futurist, please? David, great to see you. Great to have you uh, be on the show, the first uh, guest for 2024. So yeah, the whole notion of an actionable futurist, it's interesting. When I go to events and I have the word futurist on my name badge, people go, oh, I've never met a futurist, what do you do? And I suppose when we think of the word futurist, we think of futurists like Arthur C. Clarke, like Nostradamus. The challenge with that is that, that Arthur C. Clarke, he, he was a brilliant, brilliant futurist, but he was thinking about things that were 30 years in the distance. So what I try and do with my strong technical background is understand what's happening in the near-term future and give people actionable things to do. Uh, I can guarantee you at the end of this podcast, there'll be five actionable things I'm going to give your audience to do. So an actionable futurist is someone who is deeply rooted in technology, but gives a near-term view of what's going on in the world when it comes to technology in business and society. Excellent stuff. Now, before we get into some of that, uh, we've known each other um, actually kind of online since the 2000s, but we were just talking about it before we started the show. We first met in 2013 when you were launching CRED in the UK. So tell us a bit, bit about your background and the stuff that's actually brought you to here. Yeah, well, unusually for a, for a futurist, I actually have a very strong technical background. I was actually doing a video over the break about my, my origins, and I look back to when I was six years old and I was performing experiments with my father. We would wire up little lights and understand why they would glow dimly if they were in series and if they would glow brightly if they were in parallel. I was the kid who was playing with those 101 electronic kits. I made a burger alarm and a shortwave radio. I studied an engineering degree and really fell in love with technology and electronics. And this is back in the, the late 80s. My father actually owned an electronics store, so I got to play with things and I would take things home and, and build them and, and, and muck around with them. I did an engineering degree and then I spent, uh, spent some time working for British Aerospace. I worked on a really innovative uh, field satellite operations kit for the Australian Army. I've worked for telcos like Telstra and Optus, building high-speed data networks. Then 12 years of startups. One of them was CRED, you mentioned, where I was looking at influencer uh, marketing, been involved in social media, been involved in location-based services, did a few projects with Vodafone. So I've had a very strong... Uh, level of experience around technology. So I understand if you throw a new technology at us like um, the metaverse or NFTs, I can quickly understand what it means, what it means for my clients and what it means for society. So that technical background then led me to IBM. I was there for four years as a global managing partner. And what I spend most of my time now is actually on podcasts like this, on stage around the world, talking to corporates about 
what it is that technology can do for them, things they should look out for, things they should be aware of, and things they should be doing today, tomorrow, next week to make it work for them. Excellent. So um, just tell us a little bit more about that. And, and actually, uh, I'm going to frame the question this way. Before 2023, what kind of things were you actually saying at those events? What, what were you getting them to think about? Yeah, so I've always talked about a broad range of topics. AI has featured, although it features a bit more than it does now, and that's where your leading question about before 2023, before ChatGPT 3.5 launched onto the stage. I was talking about the metaverse. I was talking about digital disruption, blockchain, innovation, NFTs, extended reality, talking about demystifying crypto technologies and cryptocurrency. The future of work was a very strong thing that I was talking about for the last three or four years, given what's happened in the world general tech trends, um, but AI didn't feature very strongly, if that's what you're leading to. Um, but the world kind of changed and beginning of 2023, uh, everyone wants to know about AI. So I've spent the last 12 months, almost every talk that I've done has been about AI. Not that people don't want to know about those other topics, but AI is just so interesting. And now that the friction has been removed in, in the ways that we can play and explore it, I think everyone is wanting to know, what do we do next? Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's that's interesting. So so coming into 2024, obviously, we've had a year of, of talking about AI. I mean, I think uh, it's taken most of us by surprise. I was expecting it to be a thing at the start of the year and then to tail off. But we've had, um, you, know, a, you know, generative AI stories in our news feeds almost every day for the, for the last year. So coming into 24, what are you going to say differently? What are, what are you going to get people thinking about in terms of what, what next with Gen AI and, that, and the like? Well, if we go back and look at what happened in 2023, so November 30, 2022, ChatGPT 3.5 came onto the, the scene and initially people started playing with it. But what the, 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 the real um, watershed was, was the media took it up. And so when I talk to my parents in Adelaide, my hometown of Adelaide, Australia, and mum and dad talk about ChatGPT, I say, well, where did you hear about that? Oh, we heard about it on the news. And one of my talks, I actually explain why generative AI is now so popular. It's because the media jumped onto it and they actually started writing their own scripts with it. But it goes back even further. Generative AI, and in particular ChatGPT with its chat-like interface, has removed the friction. AI is not new. Back in 1950, Dr. Alan Turing wrote an academic paper and the very first line of that paper asked the question, can machines think? 74 years later, I think we're a lot closer to answering that question. But because the friction's been removed, because most of us can send a text message, and when we send a text message to a generative AI platform like a ChatGPT, it sends back something that's useful, we can then play with it and understand it. Two years ago, if you wanted to do that, you'd have to have an AI developer, write a Python script, run a batch. It would have been very, very difficult. Most people that are, are listening to this podcast have probably played with ChatGPT. In fact, in my talks, I do a show of hands. Hands up who has used ChatGPT. Most hands go up. I then ask people to keep their hands up if they use it every day, and most hands go down. So to your point, we've gone through 2023 with exploration and experimentation. In 2024, we now need to go into implementation. And I firmly believe that companies that don't adopt some sort of AI program or start investigating what they can do will be left behind because the existing tools we use today, the Microsoft Office Suite is going to be superpower with things like co-pilots. I use Grammarly. I use Otter AI. We might talk about those things. They're all being supercharged with generative AI. If you're not playing with it, if you're not understanding it in 2024, you will be left behind. Excellent. Now, uh, I, I'm going to ask this question. I, I 
think that uh, back in time, 2007, was a pivotal year when we all started talking. I mean, social business became serious. We started the, the, the mobile uh, kind of uh, really took off. Uh, we started talking about cloud technology, although we had software as a service and things before. But we started using the cloud term in anger in 2007. That was kind of like the transition between Web 1 and Web 2. I think last year was, that, was an even bigger pivotal year uh, and, and beyond AI. Uh, do you think that? Do you think it's the pivotal year, and, and what else is going to happen, as well as the Gen AI thing in the next couple of years? Yeah, as a future, you've got to be careful not to overhype things. But I've heard a lot of people say that they think generative AI is that pivotal moment because it now allows AI to be used by the masses, the people in the street. It allows AI to be um, considered by governments. If you think back, I mean, we are probably social media pioneers. Back in the, the late noughties, uh, we were playing with this thing called social media. You and I were going to things like the Tunnel Club. We were hoping that one day this social media thing would be important enough we could make a career out of it. But you didn't see governments having safety summits about social media. Now, we know that social media has a whole lot of bad things that go on and the genie's out of the bottle. The fact that last November, the UK government convened an AI safety summit at Bletchley Park after really less than 12 months of this new phase of, of AI, generative AI being, being very public, tells me that governments are waking up. Because the friction has been removed, because companies like Meta and uh, Google and OpenAI have built these large language models and they're improving them all the time, the fact that companies and organizations are now building industry-specific large language models the fact we've now got graphical processing units from companies like NVIDIA that allow us to do things at a speed and a scale that was never before possible. Now, we're talking the Cloud Industry Forum. Cloud computing underpins generative AI because we're going to have all the heavy lifting done in the cloud. The fact that I can, I can put a really simple chat query into ChatGPT, it goes off to the cloud, all the heavy lifting is done there. So... Cloud computing, edge computing, generative AI, it will be a fundamental change. And if we actually go back to 2017, because the, the genesis of what we're seeing with generative AI now happened back then when some Google researchers released a paper called Attention is All You Need. And the GPT, the T stands for transformers. And so transformative technology allows things to be done at scale and at speed. And that was really the thing that kicked all this off. Fast forward to 2023, 2024, we've now got people using that in a way that humans can use in a very, very interesting way. So I'm now seeing amazing uses of this generative AI technology for text, for video, uh, for voice, voice cloning. I, I can actually, I have actually cloned my own voice. If this wasn't live, I could actually have sent you a voice file that had been completely AI generated. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference. So I think it's a fundamental year because the computing power is there, the momentum is there, governments are interested in regulating this so it's serious, and in 2024, companies are going to be increasing revenue and reducing costs because of generative AI. Excellent. Totally agree with all of that. Um, just one thing, you, uh, you mentioned the Tuttle Club, and so for our audience, um, not going to explain what that is, but go Google it. It's a little bit about uh, the, the UK social media history. Um, you mentioned uh, cloud being totally uh, you know, supportive of, of Gen AI and what's happening and how, and how the two are, are totally intertwined. I totally agree with that, of course. Um, what other kind of emerging technologies ought we to be thinking about alongside the, the AI topic in, in the next year, two, three years? 
Yeah, that's something I get asked all the time because all the noise and all the attention is on AI and other things are happening. The metaverse hasn't gone away. NFTs and tokenization hasn't gone away. But new things that I'm looking at and researching, things around nanotechnology, the fact that the human body is so complex and now you've got AI systems that can measure that. I, I stood on stage once probably four or five years ago and someone said, Andrew, you know, what will health look like in 50 years time? I truly believe we'll be able to swallow a pill that will be able to completely diagnose what's right and what's wrong with us. And AI will help with that as well. So nanotechnology, I think, will be a huge area. When we come back to cloud, edge computing, actually putting computing power at the edge where it's needed. A good example is added up in Cambridge. Um, there's a company um, that has been working with autonomous vehicles with Vodafone. And Vodafone has actually put some of the uh, cloud computing needed for that in the base stations to remove latency. So I think edge computing and certainly around um, some of the AI things we're seeing, that will be really, really important. Quantum computing is a mystery to some people. I've spent a lot of time looking at that because people are asking about it. It is a way off because in some ways it is a bit of a research project. The Googles, the IBMs of this world are looking into that place heavily. But one thing everyone should be aware of now, there will be a Q date, a quantum date when quantum computers are able to decode everything that's currently encrypted. So right now, this video is being recorded over an encrypted line. If you were to store all of that, there will be, at QDay, there will be a day when quantum computers can completely, in milliseconds, unscramble all the encryption and replay that. So if you're recording all of the internet traffic right now for later on, when QDay happens, uh, encryption becomes useless. And so people should be aware now that they need to start to quantum proof their encryption. And that comes down to banks and anyone that, that moves data around. And the other area that I'm doing some work with Vodafone at the moment is on 5G standalone. So the promise of 5G has always been lower latency, higher speeds, and more densely populated number of devices. And we're seeing now in the UK and countries around the world standalone basically is pure 5G, its own network, its own infrastructure, its own backhaul. And you'll see a lot of really exciting things happening around 5G standalone. Um, immersive experiences will have um, a lot of shopping that will basically be enabled because you'll have RFID tags that are 5G enabled. Uh, sporting events, you'll have multi-camera setups. So lots of things happening with wireless and mobility at the moment as we move towards 6G. But there are a bunch of things that people probably aren't talking about right now, but I'm thinking about. Excellent. Now, I mean, um, it's interesting to hear you talk about the immersive experience, and you mentioned mixed reality uh, a, a few times in your uh, in, in your answers. And obviously, we're talking uh, in a, in our mixed reality um, newsroom studio. Um, how quickly do you think all, you know organizations are going to start to get into those kind of immersive uh, experiences for their customers rather than the kind of experimental stuff that's going on at the moment so the metaverse this time last year i was talking a lot about the metaverse and there again is this level of friction because you have to put a headset on and even the most fervent gamers have said that after two hours they get really dizzy and disoriented what we saw with apple's vision pro headset was because they allow the real world to be mixed in with the virtual world, and you've got extended or, or you know mixed reality. I think that's where the future lies. I think that we saw years ago with Google Glass, the 1.0 of having a heads-up display. It's going to be quite difficult to get that technology down into a contact lens, but I think we'll get there eventually. So I think the future will be augmented mixed reality where I'm seeing the real world, and overlaid on top of that is some virtual information, technology, game, whatever. What's interesting though is, I know you're in a virtual studio, 
For the last two years, I haven't done a single virtual presentation. They've all been in person. And I think it's human nature. Humans like to be around other people. Not saying that virtual is dead and we shouldn't be doing virtual production, but I think the whole immersive experience where at the moment you have a very bulky headset, that is the friction point. When we've removed the friction, we're going to see a whole range of other um, examples that will just flow and it'll just be like me looking around the room and having things on my heads up display. So I think we're going to see a lot of um, investigation and, and experimentation around that. I think AI will help. I think AI will also help us understand how we remove that friction and make it a very, very enjoyable experience. Excellent. No, I totally agree with all of that. Very good. Now, we've mentioned a whole load of technologies. Uh, is there anything that we haven't mentioned that people ought to be thinking about maybe investing some time in? Well, I'm, I'm not going to mention a technology. I'm going to mention the use of it. And so I touched on regulation before. With all these new technologies coming out, I think people sometimes miss that there are existing regulations. So, for example, ChatGPT probably isn't GDPR compliant for everything that it does. And so are you involving your legal and risk departments in what you're doing? So pause for a moment and look at what the technology is doing and whether you're actually being compliant. Yeah, I think the governance issue is, is crucial. Excellent. Now, to finish off, um, you're the actionable futurist. Give us some homework. Uh, what are the things that you want our audience to go away and do following today's talk? Well, let me give you five things that you can do next week to be actionable and be what I call digitally curious and leaning forward when it comes to new technologies. I'm sure most people have tried chat GPT. Try it again, but this time try as if it's an enthusiastic always-on intern. Good example, I'm writing a book at the moment. The book's called Digitally Curious. I was looking for a subtitle, and so I asked ChatGPT, I said, I'm writing this book. Here's the intended audience. Here's the main title. Give me 20 possible subtitles, but importantly, justify each one. Give me the reasons for you selecting that and also suggest a book cover. And it churned out as if an intern had gone off and done all this research, why this title was a good title, why it suggested that. So it was actually using some critical thinking. Second thing is, look at other AI-powered tools. I, I touched on one called otter.ai. That does real-time transcription and translation. It will basically look at what's being said and it'll translate it. But then, and this is what I love about it, once you've gone back to the recording, you can go, hey, at otter, what are the key points in this meeting? What are the action points? It'll go back through the transcript and tell you just as ChatGPT would. There's another one I use called Grammarly that actually looks at your grammar and sentence structure and spelling, and that can work in real time as well. Third thing I would look at is play with some of these new tools around video and voice cloning. I mentioned before, I've set up a voice clone using 11labs, 11labs.io. Basically, I gave it half an hour of my talks and it has provided a pretty perfect voice clone. Um, video is on the way, and there's a good company called Synthesia, a UK-based company, that also allows you to basically train it, doing what I'm doing right now, and then actually allow you to do a talking head or a training video without having to record it again. I often suggest to my clients they run a hackathon. They get the two tribes, as I call them, the going digital, the born digital together in a room, and they look at um, business issues, maybe look at what AI might do for the organization, run a hackathon. And also listen to more podcasts. This podcast, my podcast, the Actual Futures podcast, listen to people talking about technology now and in the future. Excellent stuff. 
those are some great things for, for us to take away and do. Thanks so much, Andrew. That's been absolutely fantastic. Really awesome to have you uh, starting off our 2024 season. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, David, for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed Andrew's take on all things AI and where the technology is going for the future um, and what you should do next. Uh, some really great insights in that session. Uh, we'll be back live next Wednesday at 14.30 UK time, uh, 2.30 in the afternoon. We want your feedback, uh, your suggestions, or maybe you want to be a guest on the show. Put something in the comments here or email us at info at cloudindustryforum.org. We look forward to hearing from you and we hope to see you next week.